Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Returns Unboxed, the podcast that helps you unpack the ever-evolving landscape of returns, keeping you folks in retail land on the cutting edge. I'm Laura, a returns nerd here at Rebound, and I've spent the last five years chatting to retailers about what makes a great returns experience. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Chloe. Hi there, I'm Chloe. I'm the resident content creator here at Rebound. For the last two years, I've been delving into returns research, and I can't wait to break it down with you today. In this episode, we'll be talking about consumer experience and the impact that returns can have on consumer loyalty. Oh, and later in the episode, we'll have my favorite part, our regular You Found What in the Box segment for 100% true tales from the world of returns, not to be missed. So let's dive into the topic at hand, the customer returns experience. Yeah, we've got so much to cover today. So why don't we start out, Chloe? Have you had any recent noteworthy returns experiences? If by noteworthy, you mean terrible, then the answer is definitely (laughs) yes. Um, I recently purchased an item, decided to return it, and was just having a very difficult time actually finding the return policy and the return instructions on this brand's website. It ended up being nestled at the bottom of uh, the homepage in really fine print, which was challenging for me to even figure out. And once I registered my return, I received an email that had incorrect return instructions that did not match um, the actual return label I was given. So that was super confusing. And uh, to top it off, I had to pay for this return. And it cost me, I think, around five euros. And if you uh, combine that with the outbound shipping, I ended up losing around 10 euros on this entire return experience and getting a product I I never even, you know, ended up keeping. So it was a real bummer. And I I don't plan on buying again from this brand because it was just such a nightmare. Wow. I mean, you have more patience than me. The fact that you even went hunting in the fine print is a step further than I would have gone. If the information isn't really clear to me up front, I'm not going to go hunting through your terms and conditions. I'm not going to read your fine print. I'm just going to message you on Twitter or X, whatever it's called these days. So yeah, the fact that you even went to that process, I think is something that not a lot of their customers would have done. So if you had that experience, I wonder how poor the rest of their customers find the experience. And I think the experiences like these really illustrate how vital a smooth returns experience can be because it doesn't matter how simple the buying process was. If returning it is an absolute nightmare, that's the part you're going to remember. And like you mentioned, you're not going to buy from this brand again now. Yeah, exactly. These experiences really illustrate how, uh, you know, at least for me, I'm just, I'm I'm not going to buy from this brand ever again. You know, I'd rather purchase their products, even though I like them, through a third-party marketplace or somewhere that's going to give me a good return policy that's going to make returning easy um, and that's going to facilitate a positive customer experience. Because if I know I'm going to have to pay a bunch of money and wait for over a month for a for a refund without any communication in between, I'm just not doing it again. Yeah, and you're definitely not alone in that either. According to research by JDA and Centero, 63% of consumers say that the returns experience now factors into which retailer they choose to shop with online. So returns is a really big competitive advantage. And not only that, if you're taking a long time to work out how to return something, that's a long time that the item isn't in 
the retailer's hands for them to resell. And our study showed that on average, a product loses 0.5% of its retail value per day. So the longer it's taking your customer to work out how to return, if it's a really complicated process, your item is just going to be depreciating and you're not going to be able to resell it. The chances are you're going to have to resell it in the sale at a much lower cost. Yeah, there's another financial downside as well to a, a slow refund process, which is the consumer side of things. Our research shows that um, on average, a customer service ticket costs around three to 15 euros to solve if you're looking at the time that a customer service agent is actually spending on it and all the activities that they're doing. So giving a really slow refund is going to mean that your customers are more likely to actually launch that complaint in the first place. So that's something to look at and to really be mindful of in ensuring that you have fast refunds with a lot of transparent communication in between so that you're not getting all of those customer service complaints mounting up. Yeah, and it's not only about kind of trying to reduce costs, but actually getting returns right can help boost sales as well. 89% of consumers are more likely to make another purchase after a positive returns experience. Whereas with a bad experience, around 80% of consumers would prefer to do business with a competitor. So it's not just about you know, cutting down costs. It's about actually driving sales up in the first place. Yeah, exactly. You know, when we're talking about creating this positive return experience, what are we actually talking about? You know, we're looking at creating a customer-centered return experience. And it's so important because it's that last touch point. You know, it's the last moment that you have to make a good impression and if you make a bad one, like my experience recently, you know, the person is kind of put off permanently from ever shopping at your brand again. So I think it's important to understand the wants and needs of your consumer base and to make sure that you're actually able to give them what they want um, as the brand. So the best way to really see what your consumers are actually experiencing is to become your own customer. Yeah, absolutely. One of the traps that brands fall into so often is the returns policy and the website will be owned by one team. The returns paperwork will be owned by another, email communications by another team. And it's just a really disjointed experience. It's so rare that these teams sit together and actually look at the returns experience. So what we like to do is recommend to every brand to actually buy something, become your own customer, go through the process, see how you find it and do it with your competitors' businesses as well. What are the good points? What are the bad points? What is something that you really would not understand? Understand. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be you that does it because, you know, you're really close to the brand. Maybe you understand the process. Ask a family member, your mum, your dad, your grandma, your children, how would they, how do they find the process? And I think that will be really telling. And when you experience these things firsthand, I think it really helps bring to light the urgency to get a proper returns process in place. Yeah. So I think, like you said, you know, it's important to understand that full process, the really end to end return experience that you're giving to your customers. And by understanding it, you're going to gain valuable feedback, which can drive innovation beyond returns. So, you know, looking at improvements to sizing tools and technology, um, improving descriptions, making your photo and video quality better, and uh, driving quality control. 
Yeah, I actually want to give a shout out to a brand that I bought from recently. So I bought from Cider um, and, you know, mentioned about making innovations. This isn't necessarily super technologically advanced, but it's a little cool tip that, I, that I've not seen before. And in my parcel came a little card that says, a gift for you to improve your shopping experience. Here's a little tape measure to help you find the right fit. Add your body measurements on the Cider app. And then they give you a little tape measure and you can add your sizes. So then when you buy from them again, the app can already recommend to you what size that you need. So they're acknowledging here that, hey, you've not bought from us before. You don't know our size and fit, but we want to help make sure that you get it right. We really want to build up a lifetime relationship with you. And here's something that's going to help you do that. And I think that, you know, we've all seen those AI size and fit tools, but this is really taking it back to basics of there's no room for misinterpretation. This is measure yourself and we'll tell you what's going to fit. And I think that's really great. Yeah, it's so nice. We love to see those kinds of innovations and people really um, highlighting the return experience and trying to make it a positive one rather than just leaving it to the wayside and forgetting about it like a lot of brands tend to do. So Laura, in the last episode, we were already speaking about the importance of fast refund lead times and transparency with regard to the status of a return. But what else can brands actually do to offer a great returns proposition? I think the key thing is customer communication. And that's not just in terms of, you know, giving them a customer service number to call or marketing emails. It's really making sure that at every touch point, every part where somebody has to interact with the returns experience, the communication is clear. So for example, if you have let a lawyer anywhere near your returns policy, you're already off on the wrong foot because it's going to be full of legal jargon that people don't understand. You know, those phrases, this does not impact your um your consumer rights and, and all of that stuff. That pe- people just don't understand what that means. Bring it down to a human level. With that, you can really clearly communicate your returns policy, like how long do customers have to return, making sure that they have a long think time on things. You don't need to offer them a year, but 30 days is going to go a long way rather than making them rush and panic and have to really turn things around quickly. Offering them a variety of ways to return, so giving them the option to return in store, giving them an option to return online or go to a local locker, What's convenient for one person is not going to be convenient for everybody. So somebody might like to drop stuff off at a locker that's on their way to work. Other people might not have access to transport and would need to have it collected from their home. So really giving the customer flexibility to choose what is convenient for them. And something that we'll, we will touch on more in a future episode, so I won't dwell on it too much now, is sustainability. This is something that's coming up again and again, and retailers really can't afford to ignore, and shoppers are putting more pressure on retailers to act more sustainably. So they also need to start factoring in what they're going to do about sustainability when it comes to returns. Yeah, and we really can't talk about you know the consumer experience without examining another part of returns, which is cost. This ever-looming question of to charge or not to charge for returns. Um, brands often come to us, the brands that we work with asking, you know, should we be charging for returns? Should we not be charging for returns? And we're always hesitant to give them a solid answer. And this is because it really just depends on your consumer base. You know, what types of consumers are buying from you? How expensive are your products? What type of products are you selling? Where are you shipping parcels to? And therefore, where are they coming back from? This is all going to factor into whether or not you decide to charge for returns and it's really up to you as the brand to figure out if this makes sense for your business model or not. So 
Laura, why have we seen some brands actually moving away from free returns since this has been the norm for such a long time now? I think to answer this question properly, you're going to need someone who is a much better economic (laughs) expert than me. I really don't understand what's uh, the ins and outs of the economy, but we're all feeling the pinch of cost of living, right? There's so much gone on over the last few years. And that's true for retailers and and any business, really. Everybody's, Everybody's feeling it. So we've seen lots and lots of stories of brands up and down the high street here in the UK go into administration. And some of these brands are staples that have been around for 20, 30 years. And they're now all of a sudden struggling. So I think partly the move to paid returns is really to help claw back some of the costs and really make sure that they're not kind of hemorrhaging money where they don't need to be. And then another part of it, I think there's been quite a few big players swap back to paid returns. So there are a lot of brands that really were only offering free returns because it was the norm and they felt like they had to. And now they're seeing, well, hang on a minute, if all these big brands are getting away with charging, maybe we can too. So I think it's a collective movement towards paid returns. But of course, it doesn't have to be that black and white. We have a lot of retailers, as you mentioned, say, should we offer free returns or not? And they really need to evaluate, well, do they have to do one or the other? For example, there's lots of middle ground options like offering subsidized returns where the consumer might pay £2 and the brand will pay £2. No, you're not completely offsetting the cost of returns, but you're also not charging your customers an absolute fortune to return. And you are helping claw back some of that cost. Loyalty programs also achieve the same kind of thing where you can offer you know, £10 free delivery for the year or £20 for free delivery and free returns for the year. No, it's not going to completely offset your return costs, but it does give you the opportunity to claw back some of those costs. And then one thing that we found with our consumer research is that if consumers do need to pay for the return, they would much rather have the return cost deducted for their refund rather than pay on card. I think there's something to do with the mentality of, well, then there's not extra money coming out of my bank account. So deduct from refund is also a way where if you do want to push all of the costs onto your consumer, you can do it in a more palatable way. Yeah, these are all really great alternatives. And uh, this is stuff that we're actually covering in a lot of our content. So if you want more guidance on free returns, there's a ton of resources available on our website um, that are covering this topic. So visit the insights and resources section at www.reboundreturns.com to check it out and learn more. It's almost time to wrap up with our main takeaways, but first let's do our weird return segment, AKA you found what in the box? As a reminder, each episode, we share a strange tale from the front line of returns. So those of you that joined the last episode might remember the chicken carcass. That was so gross. That still gives me nightmares. Like I can't imagine working in a returns center and just pulling a raw chicken carcass out of a bag. It's it's just a horror story. So I thought I would go something a little bit lighter this week, something along the theme of customer experience and something that won't make our listeners completely sick again. Uh, So if you're struggling to return something, Chloe, what's kind of the thought process? What, what, What would you do if you really didn't know how the process worked? If I didn't know how the process worked, I would go on someone's website and I would search for their return policy, which should have some instructions about how to return a product. And I think you'd be perfectly reasonable to follow those steps. I think that's what most people would do. Not the gentleman that is the star of this story. 
This person purchased a wallet in store. So he walked into a shop, walked up to a cashier and says, this wallet, please. And then walked out with his wallet and his receipt. He then decided that he didn't want the wallet for whatever reason. So he put the receipt inside the wallet, wrote a note and said, please, can you credit my card? And then posted the wallet back to the retailer's warehouse where they fulfill their online orders. You know, it's just so silly. (laughs) You know, it it seems obvious if you buy something in store, you're usually going to need to go physically back to that store. It's baffling to really see the way that people think about returns or the lack of thought really behind the return process, both sometimes on the part of brands, but also on the side of consumers. They're just not thinking about the brand's experience dealing with that return. Yeah, I think this is somebody who just never shops online ever. This honestly sounds like the kind of thing that my dad would do. <laughs> like he never shops online. And I think it's just really elevates the point that brands need to remember the lowest common denominator for their policy. And just because it's clear to them doesn't mean it's going to be clear to everybody. I mean, this guy made the process more complicated for himself than it needed to be. It probably would have been like it probably would have cost him money to send it back even because he doesn't he's not going to have a return label. He's not going to be able to get one online because he won't have an order number. So he's gone to the process of going to the post office or wherever he's gone and paying and He's not even, not only is he not going to get his refund for the wallet, because even if he calls up customer service, they're going to be like, yes, sir, we have no, like, no reference of who you are, no way to track this parcel, that he's also going to be out the money that he's spent to send it back. So I've never seen anybody misunderstand the returns process quite this much. Admittedly, he hasn't sent back a chicken (laughs) carcass. So it can always be worse to him for that. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't like that not sending back a chicken carcass is our, kind of benchmark for what's normal anymore. Um, We're really setting the bar low. Yeah. Um, But if you have any disgusting or interesting return stories, whether you're a brand that's just received something completely crazy in the parcel, or you're a shopper that's also done something really weird for who knows what reason, uh, we'd love to hear it. So please email us on podcast at reboundreturns.com. We always love this segment. And if nothing else, even if we don't feature it, it gives me and Chloe some some fun (laughs) reading on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, and if you if you actually remember three valuable takeaways from today's episode, aside from this silly wallet story, make it these. Laura, why don't you start off with the first one? Yeah, the first thing is definitely to reframe. Think differently about returns. Stop seeing them as an expensive byproduct of doing business and see them as a valuable part of both data gathering and brand experience. Integrate them into your customer value and retention metrics. Look at the NPS score for returns and really see them as a big opportunity. And the second thing is to simplify, you know, reduce the complexity around returns and remove barriers to reduce costs, increase speed and improve customer experience. And this is this goes for stuff as basic as your return policy, you know, make it easy to understand, make it simple and make it understandable to your entire customer base. Absolutely. And finally, innovate. Track your customers' interaction with your returns process. And this can help inspire innovations that will help grow your core business. You know, look at the heat maps for your website. How are people interacting with your returns policy? Are they scrolling up and down, clicking around all over the place? That's a pretty good sign that they don't understand the process. Look at your calls for customer service contacts. How many of those are return and refund related? What kind of frequently asked questions are coming up? So this can help improve 
um, your returns experience and come up with new innovations, but also include developments in other areas, you know, fit analytics tools that are not only going to help returns, but also help the buying process as well. That's all the time we have for episode two, but don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you have any questions or funny return stories, you can send us a note on podcast at reboundreturns.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.